Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Bible study. Won't you join us as we worship this evening? God so love the world. Jesus is waiting, God, 
so love the world. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope and no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given
Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me this evening to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 22. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 22. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Yet again, another opportunity to come together with the family of God, uh, together around your word. And Lord, we know that every word printed in this book is significant, it's important. So Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom, discernment, help us to learn from that that you have recorded thousands of years now preserved that it might fall into our hands this evening may you use it to not only teach us but to challenge us and change us God that we might become more like your son than we've ever been before there's so many within our church family that that need you to intervene in their lives in a very real and physical way right now. So God, we pray for each of those um, that are sick and under the weather that you lay your healing hand on their body. Uh, God, we do believe that uh, you have authority over everything in this world. And so God, we pray that you restore them back to health. Father, we pray for the spiritual condition of uh, our own selves, our church, our community, this country, this world. We realize that light has shone into darkness, and the darkness has comprehended it not. So, God, we pray that you might just illuminate yourself, your purpose, in your plan for humanity through your word. Let us not only hear it, but heed it. Have your will and your way in each of our lives, and we'll be careful to give you the glory for everything that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Um, there are literally so many uh, events recorded in the Gospels during this period of time, one week, that we call Passion Week, beginning with the ascension of our Lord into Jerusalem and culminating at the resurrection that we celebrate every day, and particularly, especially, uh, this coming Sunday morning. With all of the people, the events that we read about, 
we have a tendency to focus on the main events, if you will. Um, certainly, we, we consider Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem to be a very, very significant event that we have recorded for our learning. And then his period of time in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, where he prays in lieu of his upcoming crucifixion, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, yet nevertheless, not what I will, but thou will be done. Certainly, it's you cannot get to the cross without you have the trial. And so we spend time, especially during this time of year, reading and meditating on the fact that he who knew no sin was tried and convicted a criminal. And then, of course, you cannot get to the resurrection without going to the cross. That alone is the turning point of human history. So certainly it's important, but it's only important if it be true that Christ rose again that third day. And, and yet with all of those major events, there, there, there are other things that happen and that take place and that are recorded that if we're not careful, we would maybe consider them just to be details, insignificant and, and not really um, much in the way for our learning. But, but I want to suggest to you that if God recorded it, then it's for our learning. It's for our benefit and for our blessing. So I, I want to focus this evening um, our attention to an event in the life of the Apostle Peter. The Bible says in verse 54 of Luke chapter number 22, Then they took him, Jesus, and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down, Together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he, Peter, denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them, one of one of." Jesus' disciples, one of Jesus' followers. And Peter said, man, I am not. In about the space of an hour, after another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. 
And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now, if we're in agreement that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for instruction, for in correction, for reproof, for righteousness, that it didn't just haphazardly become a part of the story that if God put it in the Bible it's for you and for me and for our learning and ultimately for his glory. And God records what is certainly one of the most tragic events in the life of this man we call the Apostle Peter. This one that seemingly was to be The leader, even within this small group of disciples, apostles, after the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus. And, and while it's, it's certainly good to learn from the successes of other people. For, for instance... We're told in chapter number 9 that Jesus looked to his disciples and he asked this really simple question, who do the people say that I am? And the Bible says that Peter was the one that gave the answer, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Jesus' response to Peter was, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, he's... He's revealed this to you. Thou art Peter, Petros, rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. What an amazing day in the life of Peter. Well, we've, we've often said that Peter's been known as that disciple, well, that I have a lot in common with, with a shoe-shaped mouth. Um, he didn't always get it right. Sometimes he just opened his mouth and just let words fly, and he got into trouble with the Lord. But on this day, Peter nailed it. And Jesus says to Peter, "Thou art, think about that. Think about if Jesus were to say to you, you're a rock. And then... Within a year at least, we find Peter is not only not professing who Christ is, but he's denying who he is. And it makes you wonder how, how can somebody like Peter Somebody who lived and walked with Jesus for 
the three and a half years, the entirety of the three and a half years of his public ministry here on earth, at the culmination of it, find himself in a position to deny the Lord. And, and remember now, if it's in here for our learning, that means we need to be taught for a reason. And I think that we need to understand that if Peter can make this drastic fall, then so could you and I. Even as believers, there's no question that Peter was a believer. He's not converted yet. That is, the Holy Spirit has not regenerated him at this point. But, but man, you can't get any more uh, evidence to who Jesus is than what Peter was exposed to for three and a half years. I mean, he saw him open the eyes of the blind and cause the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak. Peter was there when Jesus commanded Lazarus, a man who had been dead four days, to come out of the grave again. And, and that's only just, just, just prior to our text, and now we have Jesus denying him. And, and so we would want to understand how, how do you get from where Peter was to where Peter is in our text? And, and more importantly, if we, like Peter, find ourselves there, how do we get back to where we want to be? And, and so I want to suggest that, that you know, if, if, if we look at, at the context surrounding Peter's fall, this, this denial of Peter... There's, there's somewhat of a pathway that he walks down to get here. What, what I mean is Peter did not wake up this, on this morning and say, okay, today's the day that I'm going to deny Christ. No, the, it, it was um, one choice that led to another choice that led to another choice and then ultimately ended with Peter's denial. You know, you, you think about tragedies. Certainly this is a tragedy in the life of Peter. And who among us has not experienced tragedies of some way, shape, or form and I think the most tragic of all tragedies are those tragedies that could have been prevented. That did not just have to happen. And while Jesus knew this was going to take place and he predicted it and he told Peter that it was going to happen, I don't believe it's an event that had to happen in Peter's life and... Um, can, can, can I just say this? Just because it did happen to Peter doesn't mean it has to happen to us. And, and I believe that we have this story so that we might learn from not only the successes, but even the mistakes and the failures of people like Peter that we don't replicate their mistakes, but we capitalize on their successes. You know, I'm really grateful for the men and the women in my life that um, share their victories with me. 
share their triumphs with me that, that are quick to talk about their praise reports because they help me, Tim. They minister to me. But I think if it's possible, I might be even more grateful for those who are humble enough to be transparent about their times of failure. That, that are willing to take that uncomfortable position of sharing with you those times that they didn't get it right. In fact, they got it wrong. I, I think maybe I even learned more from the people who are transparent in sharing their failures than I do from those who share their successes. So what is it that led up to this denial in the life of this great apostle named Peter? First, you know, as we've already pointed out, we, we want to um, kind of underscore the fact, if you will, that while this surprised Peter, I'm sure, it didn't shock God. In fact, if you were to go back earlier in the chapter in verses 31 and 32, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, who is Peter, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Then in verse number 33, listen to Peter's response. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready. I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Now, Jesus has already told Peter, Peter, you're, you're going to deny me. There's temptation coming. But I've prayed that your faith won't fail. And you can almost hear the arrogance, the pride, if you will, in Peter's statement. Lord, I am ready. And Jesus is telling him, you're not ready. You're not prepared. You need to get prepared. But, but, but Peter's response is, Lord, I, I'm ready. To go with thee both into prison and to death. Now, P Peter makes an assumption, I believe, in that statement. And that is that he somehow thinks he knows himself better than the Lord knows him. It's, it's as though he's arguing... Yeah with the Lord about how he's going to handle what's coming. And, and if you read the Gospel of Mark, he's even really arrogant in this position because in Mark's account of this same incident, in verse 27, the Bible says, And Jesus saith unto them, All of you, 
Peter, not just you, but all of you, because of me this night, I mean, shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Lord, you, you don't know me. I, I'm more spiritual than these other guys. They're probably going to blow it. You're, 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 you're probably right about them, but while they, they probably will, I'm not going to. I think one of Peter's fatal flaws, at least in that statement, is he's comparing himself to the wrong standard. He's seeing himself through his lens of other people. You can hear the pride and the arrogance in his statement. And, and we all know that Proverbs chapter number 16 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty look before the fall. So I think pride was the first step towards Peter going from spiritual Superman, if you will, to this weeping, broken man at Caphas Court. No wonder Paul said, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Paul's saying, listen, that, that moment when you think that you're, you've arrived at a spiritual place in your life, that, that you won't fall, even so far as to denying the Lord, that's when you want to take heed. That's when you want to be careful because when you come to that place, you've already got one foot standing over the, the pit and one foot on a banana peel. Pride always goes before destruction. Now, I wonder really, though, if in our own minds, Billy, when we think about the denial of Peter, because Peter, man, we, we give him a, a bad rap over that denial, rightly so, but, but, but I wonder if deep within our own minds, if we don't share the pride and the arrogance that we can see cl so clearly in the life of Peter, that we just naturally assume that we will never de deny the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied that that was Peter's mindset. I'll never come to a place where I'll deny Christ. Well, I, I think that we could answer that question really if we point to a second problem Peter had, not only his pride but his prayerlessness. In, in verses 39 through 46, the Bible says, He, Jesus, came out and went as he was wont, or was his custom to do, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, listen to this, pray for this reason. Peter, 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 pray 
And this is what you need to be praying for. Pray that you enter not into temptation. Peter, here's what you need to be praying for. Pray that you don't enter in to temptation. I, I don't care what you think, Peter. You might think you're going to overcome. You need to stop thinking and start praying. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's, co a stone's cast and kneeled down and set the example and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Notice this. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. As his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them. Wait, wait a minute. Jesus just told him, Peter, pray. And pray for this reason. Here's what you need to pray. That you enter not in to temptation. But when Jesus returns, prideful Peter isn't praying. He's sleeping. And verse 46 says, And Jesus said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray. Lest... You enter in to temptation. So Jesus is, is trying to prepare Peter for the temptation that's coming. And this is all he tells him to do. Peter, pray. Peter, pray that you enter not into temptation. When, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, do we understand that he was literally teaching us a pattern for prayer, how we ought to pray? And in that prayer, Jesus says, And in this manner pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so maybe, maybe we, we, could, we could gauge the level of pride in our lives by answering this question, how much of my prayer life is a reflection of an understanding that I need God to deliver me from being tempted? How much of our prayer life revolves around Father, lead me not into temptation. Protect me, I think is a good way to understand that. Pro protect me from times of temptation. 
And if our prayer lives don't find us praying for protection from times of temptation, then pride already has the upper hand. And the fall's just around the corner. Now, now we pray for God to deliver other people from sin. But, but in order for me to pray for God to deliver me, to protect me from times of temptation puts me in a vulnerable position, Miss Joan, because what I'm saying is, God, I can't handle temptation on my own. I, I need your help. I, I need your protection. I need you to surround me with a hedge that hell can't get through. God, give me the good sense to stay on this side of the hedge. So it's pride that leads to prayerlessness. At least, at least in, the, in the scope of praying for God's protection from times of temptation. You see, the sin that you think you have mastered, Jesus is saying you need protection from. That that you think you've got a grip on now, that you've been saved 10 or 15 or 20 years, if God were to lift his hand of protection, you'd be in the same ditch that Jesus drug you out of. And so we need God to protect us constantly, continually. You know, I share this with, 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 with folks all the time, especially um, when I'm ministering to, to those that are struggling with addictions, that there was a time... In my life, Billy, that, that I couldn't walk in a convenience store and comfortably walk past a beer cooler without thinking I had to stop and get something on, on my way out the door. And if I'm not careful, I can forget that that same natural man lives down inside of me. Oh, he's dead. And he's crucified with Christ. But boy, he wants to resurrect from time to time. And, and so we need, to, we need to remember that we need God's protection because the temptation, listen to me, it's not going to stop coming. In this world, you will have tribulation, times of, of temptation and, and times of, of trial, and we can't handle those on our own. Peter failed probably because it began with pride that resulted in prayerlessness. He was sleeping when he ought to have been praying. And I believe that his prayerlessness led to a, a, a y'all tired of these P words yet? A passiveness. Because the Bible says in verse number 54, that Peter followed Christ from afar off, from a distance. Now, 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 please stick with me just a minute. Don't miss the pattern here. Pride produces prayerlessness. I don't need protection from God. Prayerlessness... Broken communion and fellowship creates distance. 
space. Now, now Peter's at a place where he's still following Christ. He's just doing it from a distance. He, he's allowed space to get between him and his Lord. Isn't it interesting that we're not told how far that distance was? I mean, throughout the Bible, we're given instances where we're given measurements and distances and, 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 and chronological order and time and, and how long it takes to get from here to here and how far it is from Bethany to Jerusalem. But in this instance where it says Peter followed Jesus from afar off, do you think God didn't know how far behind Peter was? Sure he does. So why didn't he tell us? Well, I, I may just be speculating here, but maybe it's because it don't matter. Because one step behind is too far. Some space is too far. Remember, Jesus' first words to Peter were, Come and follow me. Now Peter's still following him, but man, Jesus is way out there somewhere, and, and Peter's way back here. Now, now, now listen, let's, let's don't beat Peter over the head and not take a good look in the mirror. Because I want to suggest to you that there is a lot of Christians, us included, that if we're not on our game and... and, and, and we, we allow pride to keep creep in and, and prayerlessness to find root in our Christian journeys. We'll find ourselves with space between us and Christ. While he's promised he'll never leave us or forsake us, he ain't packed up and went anywhere. But we've wandered off. We've drifted. We've, we've strayed. Of course. He, he hadn't went anywhere, but he's not as close now as what he used to be. Does, does that make sense to anybody? Did you know that God is everywhere all the time? But he don't show himself everywhere all the time. There's a difference in the presence of Christ and a manifestation of the presence of Christ in our lives. I know he's here because his word is promised He's promised he'll never leave me and never forsake me. But I don't want to just know logically, rationally, intellectually that he's here. I want to really know Amen. that he's here. You see, when we go home this evening, Joan and I might find ourselves where one of us is in the living room and maybe one of us has wandered off in the bedroom. Now, intellectually, we're still aware. We're both still in the same house. But we're not having fellowship. Come on. There's distance between us. And that's where Peter is at in our text before he ever denies the Lord. But it's the last mistake that he makes before he denies Jesus. And I, be, I believe the path is the same in each of our lives. L listen to me, friend. I hope that you're not in a place this evening where you think you can handle hell all on your own. Yeah. Satan will throw times of temptation at you. 
And, and it's not always in the verbal profession or renunciation of Christ. It, it's the same with all sin. He'll put things in front of you, and the moment you think you can handle them, you can't handle them no more. And, and that's why we have to constantly be on guard, constantly be praying. If Jesus needed to pray in the garden, then Peter needed to be praying in the garden. And so uh, before, we, before we move on away from this thought of the, the pathway um, to denying Christ, because you see, I believe that you can deny Christ without ever saying the words. You, you deny his teachings. On a practical level, that is, you don't do what he said to do or you do what he said not to do. That's denying Christ. And, and so, could, could I just ask you before we move on, and, and, and I'm going to move on very quickly, I promise, but um, are, are you as close to Jesus now as you were? I think as we begin to move toward the celebration, not that we didn't do that today, but as we begin to move toward the celebration of resurrection this coming Sunday morning, that would be a good question to answer. Do I follow Jesus more closely today than I did at some other point? Now, now I think that this is also interesting and and. Y'all are going to get tired of me preaching that you need to be in church, but it's not going to stop. But because when Jesus introduces this idea that Peter's going to deny him, and um, he, he, he literally says, all of you, remember what he said, all of you shall be offended because of me. For it is written, because this is what the Bible says. For it is written, I, God, will strike the shepherd, smite the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Well, guess what happened? The Bible says that they all, not just Peter, we, we focus on Peter, but that they all forsook him. And in the picture of this, we, we know at the cross, the shepherd was smitten and the sheep scattered. And you see, here's the very reality of it. Why did Jesus introduce this concept that there would be, with the words, there would be a scattering of the sheep? Could, 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 could I su just suggest that he understands that we as sheep have a tendency to wander. And when we wander away from the shepherd, we don't just wander away from the shepherd. We wander away from the flock, from other sheep. And Jesus knows, Billy, that's dangerous territory for a sheep. That, that's why we have flocks of sheep. 
And shepherds want to keep their sheep together in those flocks because shepherds understand when a sheep puts his head to the ground and follows the greener grass away from the flock, the lion's looking. And that's when the temptation is going to come. The Bible says that the devil as a roaring lion roams about seeking whom he may devour. You see, though I have seen the devil in church, and I hate to admit that, but it's just the truth. By the way, Jesus was the greatest pastor that ever lived. Amen? Pastored the greatest church, smallest church, but, but greatest church that there ever was. And yet one of them was a devil. But, but the enemy, according to Peter, isn't as apt to jump right in the middle of a herd or, or a flock of sheep. Can I call them a herd? <laughs> right in the middle of a herd of sheep, he'll sit back just like that line on National Geographic. And he'll wait on that one to wander. Because he knows when that sheep is wandering, he's, more, he's alone. At that moment, he's more vulnerable and subject to falling in times of temptation. So I would implore each of us, myself included, if, hey, if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to Pastor. Amen. That we, we might reflect and give good answer. From a good conscience on that question. Am I following the Lord as closely today. As I was at whatever point. S secondly not only is there a pathway. To denying Christ. There seems to be a progressive state in doing it. Um, we see it in verses 55 through 60. As the narrative unfolds. When, now, now, when I say a progressive um, pattern, if, if you will, I, I mean the depths that Peter fell into was more of a slow fade than a drastic fall. It, it happened... In successive stages, just like the pathway leading up to the event was a series of successive compromises, so is the progression of the depths that he fell into. Notice first how careless he is in verse number 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall... And were set down together. Now, now, now think about this. When they, the, who's the they? The enemies of Christ. The culture, the world. Those who were about to begin crying, crucify him, crucify him. When, when they kindled a fire, Peter, he's not denied the Lord yet. First thing that he does is the Bible says he sat down among them. And the idea is, is, I think, really that Peter came to a place where he was more comfortable 
with them than he was with him. You see, for the Christian, Christ challenges your comfort level with the world around you. When when Christ saved me, he made me uncomfortable in situations that I used to feel comfortable in. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, there was things that I used to could do and, and had no conscience, no issue about it. But, but when, when Jesus saved me, something happened inside of me that I was no longer comfortable being where I used to be, doing what I used to do and hanging with who I used to hang with. And the first thing that we see when they get there is Peter's able to sit down and make himself comfortable. You see, listen to me. Please please hear what I'm about to tell you. You'll never be able to take a courageous stand for Christ as long as you're comfortable with the culture. If, if, Miss Joan, if you're more interested in being comfortable with the people around you in this world, you'll never be able to courageously Take a stand for the Christ, the God of this world. And Peter finds it awful easy to sit with the crowd that's placing Christ on trial for us. Now remember, please, please don't miss this. Billy, this is imperative, brother. Tim, we we can't gloss over this. This is one of Jesus' most, maybe his most faithful follower. He had been with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had been with Jesus there at Lazarus' grave. And now he's more comfortable with the world than he is being identified as a follower of Christ. And, and you see, listen. If you're going to be an ambassador of Christ, it'll not only make you uncomfortable in this world, it'll make this world uncomfortable around you. And we got to be we we got to be we got to quit being so le- so interested in fitting in. When Christ has called us to stand out. Did you know that scripture says. And it's it's true today as it was in the days of Christ. And Peter and Paul and the apostles. Come out from among them. And be ye separate saith the Lord. Be different. Be distinguishably different from the world around you. You can't be different if you're worried about fitting in all the time. Amen. So Peter was first. He was, man, he, was just, he just got careless. Then he got comfortable in verse 56. And then the continuation to the point of his ultimate denial. Verse 56, but a certain maid beheld him 
as he sat by the fire. And after a little while, another saw him and said, no, I'm sorry, but a certain maid beheld him after he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, this man was also with him. This man was with Jesus. Boy, wouldn't that be a good word for somebody to say about you and me? Wouldn't it be nice if we showed up at Walmart and say, somebody's just say, man, you, you, you've been around Jesus, haven't you? Huh? You, you see, we like that in church. But what about in the world? Billy, what about on the ball field? What, what about in Walmart? What about in the workplace? What about in the, in the, in the schoolhouse? Hey, do the people that you hang out with outside the church even know that you're a Christian? You, you see, here's, here's really a, 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 a person, a young lady in the world and she looks at Peter and, and we're really not even told and, and, and really can't even assume that there's any malice at all in the, the statement that she makes. Literally all she says is, hey, this guy was with Jesus. So she recognizes something different about Peter just because he's been with Jesus and Peter says, uh-uh. I wonder what God might have done through Peter in the life of this young lady. And he said, you got that right, baby. For a little schoolgirl. And Peter's shaking, trembling, denying that he even knows the Lord Jesus. And he denied him saying, woman... I know him not. And after a while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. Now, 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 that's once. This is twice. You know the story. There's the third time in verse number 59. Remember, Peter said, I won't do it one time. What are, what are those things in your life when you got saved? You said, Boy, I'll never do that again. And if you're honest with yourself, at some point, you got to look back and say, well, I know what I said, but this is what I did. And then you're convicted of it. The Holy Ghost did convict you of it, right? And you say, boy, I ain't doing that no more. And then before you turn around... You say, well, I know what I said, but this is what I did. I won't never do that again. A week later, I know what I said, but this is what I did. And, and it, it, it's, it's a continuation of... But it all began with the first choice. And, and listen to me, friends, that's what we got to remember. Satan, he's not looking for you to jump in head over heels into an adulterous relationship. He's not looking for you just to move out and abandon your family. 
He, he's not expecting you right now to jump in over your head. All he wants is for you to dip your toe in his water. Because he knows if he can get your toe, pretty soon he'll have your foot. And once you've made that first step, the second gets easier. And the third easier. And there's a continuation that can ultimately lead to you saying, I don't know Jesus at all. Now, now, I've seen this thing play out in real life, Billy. <clears throat> to the point of complete apostasy. I have a friend, and I still consider him to be a friend of mine that I went to high school with. And we ran around together when we were lost in high school, and we did what lost people do, Billy. And... We both made professions of faith relatively, I think, pretty close, not at the same time, but within, you know, a year or so of each other. And we, we found ourselves going to the same church and members of the same church. And, and, man, I just thought that was so cool, man, that God found two guys that hung out together in high school, shared a lot of life experience together and then at different times in different places, saved each one of us and put us both in this same place to serve the Lord Jesus. I just thought that was, you got to appreciate the choreography of the Holy Ghost. Amen? But then it wasn't long until the guy that I used to see every Sunday, I might see every other Sunday, and, and then the guy that I would see every other Sunday, it might become once a month. And, and then once every other month. And, and, and today, he doesn't even identify as a Protestant Christian. He's a Jehovah's Witness. And, and I'm not saying that to try to be critical of him or throw him under the bus. What I'm here to suggest to you this, this evening is that, man, this thing of denying Christ, it's a progressive state that doesn't start out with just one overwhelming decision. I'm going to, to deny Christ today. It's a, a successive state, uh, a successive group of choices. One choice leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, till you find a place you don't even recognize anymore. So that's the, the progressive way of abandoning the faith. Did you know that Paul said to you, Billy, and to me, Curtis, to you, to examine yourself whether you even are in the faith. He says that to church folk. And, and so we ought to continually be examining ourselves because Paul's fear was not that some people were getting saved and then going to get lost again, but there was going to be people in the church that never got saved to start with. So Peter continues down this path, and ultimately we know that it need, leads to his revival, I mean, his revival, his denial of the Lord Jesus. Now, now thank God. 
that Jesus not only knows Peter than, better than Peter knows himself, but he knows when Peter falls what it's going to take to get Peter back up again. And I'm not going to go, be, I might, but uh, I, well, I, I, really, I really don't have time to go beyond this text this evening, um, but, but, but I will say this, it's all about love. It's, it's all about the reality that God loves you more than you love him. Peter's road to recovery, I believe, begins in verse number 61. The Bible says, and the Lord turned. Not that Peter turned. Remember, what, what's repentance? Turning. It, 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 re repentance is, I'm, I'm living life like this. To repent is to completely turn. To turn around. Now, now the Bible says, it doesn't say Peter turned. It said Jesus turned. Now, we know that Peter didn't need to repent. He was turning because apparently he was facing away from Peter. He's on trial for his life. And he turns around and he looks at Peter. Now, now there's, there's some different ideas about what this look must have looked like. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some people just got a way of looking at you. Y'all know what I mean? Um, was it a, 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 a domineering, critical... judgmental look I don't think so remember this shocked Peter but it didn't shock Jesus he already told him that it was going to happen I think if anything maybe it was a look of sadness yeah. sorrow you, you see the, the, the Bible says that we don't have a God who cannot be touched by our infirmities, our weaknesses. So our weaknesses touch God or touch the heart of Jesus. And, and I don't believe for a minute, you can if you want to, and, um, you know, we get to heaven, we can ask Jesus, and it'll be okay when you find out you're wrong. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe for a minute that this was a look of condemnation, but rather concern and compassion. He looked at Jesus. Now, now, when I say compassion, it doesn't mean it wasn't convicting. B because if Jesus has told you you're going to do something and you go and you blow it anyway, and then he looks at you, I promise you it's convicting. But, but nevertheless, the Lord, here's where I want to get to, the Lord took the initiative upon himself to restore Peter when Peter was not looking to be restored. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Peter's trying to find an escape hatch at this point. He's, he's just trying to get out of Dodge. And the Lord looked at him. And when the Lord looked at him, Peter remembered. Now, I, I think really here we have a picture of Peter's repentance. He remembered. 
He remembered the word of the Lord, how that he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And I think in this moment, he's broken. <clears throat> hey, could, could, could I suggest to you that it would do all of us some well, do, do all of us well, to remember as we move toward the celebration of resurrection, if we would stop and remember what God has saved us from. I'm, 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 I'm not one who believes that your testimony should be a celebration of all of your sin. That, that's not what a testimony is. Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics and we used to call that a drunk log. You know what I'm talking about, Curtis. Um, no, 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 no. But you can't hardly appreciate what Jesus has given to you if you don't appreciate what he saved you from. And I think one of the, the seeds of pride being sown into our hearts as we forget how rotten we really were. You see, here's the thing. One of the things that holds you back more than anything else is you have too high of an opinion of yourself. I know that didn't feel good, but it hurt this way too. What I mean is, is Billy, I've, I've had Christians say to me, well, I just don't have much of a testimony. I've not done the things that you or others have done, and, you know, I, I never was really that wicked. Did you know that the greatest sin of all of the dichotomy of sins, the greatest sin, it's not adultery. It's not drunkenness. It's not lying. It, 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 it's not even murder. It's not abortion. It's, it's not homosexuality. The greatest sin is the rejection of God. You see, all of the other sins are just manifestations of that one sin of rejecting God. Romans chapter number 1. And you see, here's the thing. All of us are guilty of that one sin. The fullest manifestation of the greatest sin committed by anyone in humanity is the rejection of God's fullest revelation of himself through himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so here, you want to know the most vile thing you could do to God? It's this. It's to hear the gospel and walk away rejecting Christ. Now, who among us is not guilty? Who among us stands guiltless before the throne of God? There's not one just among us. No, not one. So Peter, Peter remembered 
And I think it would do us some good just to remember. Boy, that was a deep ditch God drug me out of. And he wept bitterly. I wonder anymore. I truly do. I truly wonder anymore. Where are the tears? Where are the broken hearts for the things that breaks God's heart? I'm not saying you need to come into the church every time the doors are open like a blubbering idiot. And, but, but I would say this. I have a hard time believing that you ever got saved. If it doesn't from time to time break your heart for what God had to do in order to save you. And, and when, we, when we come on these times in our life, Miss Sheila, like the Apostle Peter... And we find ourselves denying the Lord, whether it's in word or in action or in attitude. When we remember, when we recognize that, it ought to crush our souls. It ought to crush our spirit. There's a pathway that ultimately leads to denying Christ. Not, not, not everybody that's denying Christ is openly standing on the street corner saying, well, I used to be a Christian, but I ain't no more. I wish people that just decided they didn't want to be Christian anymore just keep their mouth shut. Especially these that have big platforms in mainstream Christianity. If, 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 if they've abandoned their faith, why do they feel it necessary to take anybody with them? But, but that's not where everybody that denies Christ, is, denies Christ is living at. Some of us are denying him in attitude. And in action. In the way that we treat him. And in the way that we treat others. It's a progressive state though. If we continue going down that pathway. Inevitably it does lead. To denying him verbally. But aren't you glad. God loves Peters more than Peters love themselves. Yeah. And that when you find yourself on that course, if you're truly a Christian, a child of God, you'll find him looking at you. Who are we, by the way, and, and, and I know I'm out of time, but, but who are we, by the way, to think that we're getting away with anything? <laughs> Have you ever really stopped to think about that just for a minute? Hey, can I say this? When you think nobody's looking, God's looking. You might have your pastor fooled. You might have your spouse fooled. You might have the church fooled. But God knows right where you're living and how you're living where you're living. Amen? 
He's always looking. But, but we also need to understand that he's looking through eyes of compassion. He doesn't want to con condemn you. He wants to rescue you. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you that, Lord, this, this, this Passion Week is just packed so full. So full of your wonderful grace and mercy and truth and love. Your holiness, your justice, your righteousness. And God, if we were to study just this week alone in the life of our Lord for the next 365 days, for the next year, we'd only be able to scratch the surface of everything that you have to teach us. So, Lord, I pray that what you do help us to learn, that you give us not only the grace to hear it, to understand it, but the grace to obey it, to be changed by it. God, it is, it is truly our heart's desire tonight that, um, Lord, like, like Peter, when we go into our community, the places you've planted each of us that that others like this little girl would, would look at us and be able to see something of Christ in us. See that we had been spending some time with Jesus. And God, just give us the courage and the boldness um, to be the witnesses that you've called us, created us to be. Lord, we just believe that men and women, boys and girls can be saved. Their lives transformed. Their eternities changed by what you do through normal, common, everyday people just like those sitting in this room and following with us online. Use us to make an impact on what eternity is going to be like in heaven and here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much being here this evening. Look forward to seeing you Sunday for those of you I won't see before then.